0: Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. It was announced by the Air Force on Thursday that the 182nd Airlift Wing in Peoria will get some upgraded equipment, specifically upgraded C-130 aircraft that will allow for new technology on the aircraft. They're upgrading to what are called Super Hercules C-130s, Colonel Rusty Ballard is the commander of the 182nd and talked about it with WMBD's Greg Batten
1: and Mark Alghini. Explain that, uh, the, the general thing that you were just telling me that you're uh, overseeing.
2: Oh, yeah. It, it, like I said, it's nothing to brag about, but there, I'm a uh, C 130 Weapons System Chair. So there are C 130 wings all over the Air National Guard, 18 okay. across the country, and then I am the, the chairperson for that. So the so issues they have, then they bring the, it to me and I
1: advocate you. for them on behalf I of I told the you, congratulations, and so you said, well, some days. Yeah. Some days it is. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations on this. So, so take us through this, lay people. We don't. My, uh, we were just talking to, to some folks off the air about this. I think the average person around here, we're aware of the 180 seconds out there. We're proud of it. Mm-hmm. We may not really know what you do, and why is the C-130 part of it? So the old plane is is the one we've been seeing. You're going to get some new ones. We'll get into that in a second. But what is happening? What what is the day to day? Dave, to with the 182nd airlift yeah, wing. Yes, and the
2: C, and specifically
1: is the C-130 portion.
2: Yeah, so uh, we operate the C-130. It was uh, designed in the 1940s. The first one built was in the 1950s and fielded. Wow, ours are not that old. Thank goodness. Yeah, the yeah. ones we currently fly, the C-130H model. We've been flying that since. Uh, well, we've been flying C-130 since 1995. Okay, the aircraft we're flying are 93 and 94 versions. Uh, Basically, you do air land and airdrop missions, and that's what we train to all the time in the Peoria area. What does that mean? Air land, you act like an airline pilot, and you go from point A to point B with passengers. But we also have another formation capacity of that, where we fly in formation and train to get Army troops on the ground at the same time. So we do an airdrop mission, open up the back of the door, people jump out the back, or we drop trucks, equipment, fuel, any kind of supplies we do in formation in the weather.
1: And do you practice that here? We do. I mean, if I was lucky enough to to see a moment, would there be a possible moment where I'd see uh, some trucks dropping out of the back into a field somewhere around here?
2: We do it about 20 times per week. Really? A lot of times oh, during the week. Wow. We do. We do. we do.
1: Colonel, I am getting disappointed in myself that I haven't <laughs> Yeah, I haven't this. seen
0: that either. I mean, I see you guys all the time. <laughs> yeah, me like, too. I've never seen anything drop.
1: Do it all the time. That can weird. you drop it at my house? I will, I'll give you my address. If you can pinpoint you it right on my driveway. Amazon. All
2: right, we'll drop the 8,000-pound <laughs> yeah. truck right
1: on right, top yeah, yeah. of your house. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the the general uh, uh, idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, so the planes that you've had, and you mentioned you've had them for a while. The new model is the J, uh, and what's different about it?
2: It's basically going from an analog aircraft to a digital oh, aircraft. Cool. So, from the from the the layman's person out there, they're not going to know a difference. It looks about the exact same aircraft. Maybe Inside, a little
1: difference. Everything's
2: different. Everything's different. Uh, the crew's different. Why is that? We have two pilots, a flight engineer a navigator, and two load masters on the current H model. So a six-man crew. Okay. When you go computer-based, make it digital, you get rid of that flight engineer, which is managing all the systems, okay. and a navigator. It's all computer-based now.
1: Okay. And so... It,
2: uh that uh, people losing jobs it, unfortunately yeah so yeah. It, it going from that legacy aircraft we're gonna have to position them to other places on base, sure, or sure. they're gonna retire a little bit earlier than they thought which is bittersweet right because sure all the memories i have flying the c-130 around the world iraq afghanistan air driving, combat it was those aren't done without a navigator and flight engineer so all my experiences my friends my my thought process to see that legacy change is heartbreaking.
1: It's an interesting thing about that. We have muscle memory. We are uh, human beings. We, we learn a skill. It's not untrue in this room. Uh, mm-hmm. We have some new equipment that we've just recently put in. I've had to change the way my my hands work in the last couple of weeks, a month. Sure. And and it's, and it's hard. So then you take components of human beings out mm-hmm. of your day and your mission. It's a whole new game. Mm-hmm. you're going to have to learn i mean is there special training then that you in particular and other folks who are the pilots will have to go through
2: yeah it's going to be a whole new process So we're going to have to go to little rock which is the the training center for the c-130 in the air force right and it's going to be a six seven month course per person to go wow. down there and learn a mission that people have been doing maybe for 20 25 years they have to learn how to do it do in it a all over aircraft. again yeah. uh
1: how much do those planes cost
2: uh it varies yeah but these look about 85 million dollars pop
1: is wow. it very like on stereo system or something like that the air conditioning
2: <laughs> uh, those kind you of have accessories, accessories? You can, <laughs> do you have white walls white walls on the tires <laughs> yeah uh when will you get them uh we should get the first ones in the first quarter fiscal so let me say october of 26 should be oh. the first tail on the ramp and it, it may not be that soon but It'll be very close to that. And
1: uh, the fact of the matter is only four uh, bases got them, right? You are one of four.
2: We are one of four, yeah. Congratulations. And that's a large process. They come out for, I'd say we put six months of work in that just to demonstrate our capability why right. Peoria is the place to go.
1: And you are a very significant employer here. We are. How, many, how many folks are at the 187?
2: Uh Over 1,200. It fluctuates in uh, yeah. based on recruiting and retention. Sure. And we're one of the top employers in the area. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, um, So it, it's pretty substantial in the economic impact that that base provides to the area. As a wing commander of the base, that's my number one goal, is to keep the Peoria Air National Guard on the map. Yes. And that's what I do. And to secure this, and this effort has been going on for decades to get this aircraft, uh, is substantial because cool. it's going to put us decades into the future. Because what it could bring is military construction and other things to the base. Cool. That means it could be eighty-five to one hundred fifty million dollars per year uh, to the local economy. Nice. And then, that, well, thank you and yeah. congratulations on that to the whole team. Absolutely. On a
1: on a fun part of your life, uh, last week was it last week? Sunday. The, last, uh, Sunday. last Sunday. Uh, there was a flyover at the Bears game. Mm-hmm. Uh, of one of your C 130s and we learned just a few moments ago you were on that plane. Yes, I cool. First of, <laughs> of all, second, how does that work? Because it's all you watch it on TV, and the timing is always perfect. And I don't, I kind of understand it if you're a Blue Angel, yeah, because you can go pretty fast if you need to, or you can slow it down if you need to. C one
2: thirty, little less flexible, I would imagine, on that. But how does that go down? Uh, basically, they give us a time on target they say we need you here right here and they they time what they're going to have the end of the national anthem. Okay. And so we put that on our computer and in this case we have our navigator figure that out like we need to be there say at noon. Okay. Uh we will get up there probably about 20 minutes early and we like we we did the other day it was we get about 500 feet above the water Lake Michigan and we just did 5 mile patterns and we sat wow. there and then whenever that time got closer we're talking to somebody on the ground with the rate okay the national am hasn't started yet okay delay 15 seconds or Mm -hmm. delay 30 seconds and that navigator is shortening that last leg before we turn inbound and so he knows that from point a to point b to the stadium we need to hit that first point a at a certain time so he's shortening the legs prior to that and if it hits that right on then we're going to nail it. If we hit it late, then we need to speed up five knots or slow down 10 knots and something like that. For the time. I I,
1: I know it must seem maybe mundane to you, to me and Mark, that is thrilling. And the fact I would, I would high five myself and I would (laughs) high five everybody else on the plane if uh, every single time we hit it. And I'm assuming you hit it every single time. But do you have that uh, celebratory reaction when it happens? Um, or I'll is it you, just another thing you did at work?
2: We do it all the time. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, that's, so that's what big, they you know. do. That's what we do. We've yeah. done it all over the world for for years. But I tell you what, that was fun because I haven't done it for a while. Now I'm in the position I don't get to fly as much. And I did yeah. not fly. I was on the aircraft, but I was not on the controls this time. Right. It was dumb luck. But everybody felt it was fun because <laughs> – it was right when the fireworks went up. So you know we uh-huh. you know we nailed it and like, yeah. and then you bank up sixty degree bank and you look at all the sailboats on the sunny day uh, and like dude. and it was it was fun. Yeah. And the fact on this one, the Bears paid for the hotel that night and let us park at midway and then got us on the field during the game. Oh awesome. nice, dude. That was something else. That's great. Never That's been a great. part of that. And walking around the stadium in uniform, the yeah. amount of people that are patriotic and thanked us for yeah, our service, yeah. it, it's very humbling. That's nice.
0: It's funny how I found out about it. Uh, my buddy who owns the car wash on Farmington Road and one of your guys came in there to get his car wash and he's told him like oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna go up there and and fly and sure enough there That's they were cool. and stuff
1: uh, I want to ask you one last uh, question colonel and part of this story on the new uh, c130s that you're getting is uh, waiting on environmental studies mm-hmm. what does that mean
2: its it's just another step in the process okay it's just yeah. built in it, it's, it's basically done. to see can we operate a c-130 at this base which we've been doing for near yeah forever yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah so it's yeah. just another step in the
1: process Okay. all right well yeah. congratulations and uh, i can't wait to 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 see the new one as you say uh, we on the ground won't really notice much a difference mm-hmm. but it'll be exciting to to hear about the the new changes and uh thank you for cementing our relationship with the 182nd for decades to come. That's really the big understory of this, isn't it? I
2: mean, this is a big deal. That is. And, I, and yeah. I can't leave without saying the congressional support on both sides of the aisle have been extremely awesome. wonderful for, the, for this district, this state, and this country. They've, they've got it across the line for it us. It is great
1: to see you. Thanks for coming in.
0: Colonel Rusty Ballard of the 182nd Airlift Wing in Peoria. More Week in Review coming up. The Peoria Riverfront Museum and a family that was once in charge of Caterpillar in Peoria are once again coming together to help improve the community through education. WMBD's T.J. Carson talked about a big donation with Peoria Riverfront Museum's Everly Davis.
3: Big gift to the museum today.
4: Yes, Polly Barton. Um, who was actually the first major donor for the Every Student Initiative seven years ago, um, committed a million dollars to start um, a fund, um, an endowment fund, for uh, to continue the future of the Every Student Initiative years and years on into the future to make sure that um, K-8th through grade students in the central Illinois region will be able to continue to enjoy field trips here um, that are curriculum-related um, if their school is not able to. To provide uh, the funding or the financial backing to get those
3: kids here okay so these are free field trips to the museum for kids and students around the area correct
4: correct okay Mm -hmm.
3: the million dollars uh, it was told in the press release this is the largest gift the museum itself has ever received Uh, talk about what that means to have that large gift go to this program
4: This is the largest gift that the museum has received towards an education initiative. Okay. Um, And so what we're really gearing this gift towards is improving the quality of the Every Student Initiative. Um, So we have a team of education guides. We're looking to get more data back to see how um, a museum experience every year impacts Um, the growth and development of every child Um, and so with that million dollars it's just the beginning of being able to make ESI the best program it can be for those students to serve our community
3: and a million dollars that's that's no small amount
4: not at all Um, Polly's first gift she actually pledged to give 50,000 the first year um, and then 50,000 for the next five years and on top of that she gave the million dollars to start this fund so she truly believes in investing in the children
3: How much does the program need each year to operate?
4: Um, Well, that depends on the amount of schools. Uh, Right now we have 45 schools out of eight different districts in central Illinois. Um, And it is no small uh, amount (laughs) um, between all of the materials that we need, the staff that we need, um, helping... uh, With the Family Fun Passes, every one of those sponsored students also gets a free pass to bring their family back to the museum on a return visit. Um, Because this is not just about a a once-a-year field trip. This is about creating the next generation of museum members and lovers. Um, So they get to bring their families back. All of the educators at these schools also... um, are given a free membership for the museum for the year so that they can bring their families back and they can use our museum as a resource for their classroom. So when it comes to putting a dollar amount um, with how much it costs each year, hundreds of thousands.
3: Okay. Um, is there a breakdown of how the million dollars is going to be spent yet? Has that been known?
4: No, that is not known.
3: Okay. Um, what kind of programming do the kids get when they are part of the ESI? What do they partake in here?
4: Yeah, so every um, every student initiative field trip, they get the choice of a giant screen theater film, an educational film in our our world-class theater, um, or a planetarium show from our planetarium staff, and they also get a guided walkthrough tour um, that is a curated experience, so it's not just a general museum tour, we're looking at what they might be studying that year and give them an experience that is going to help enhance or fill in the gaps um, for what they're doing in the classroom. To
3: kind of enrich what they're doing as well.
4: Absolutely, and they're conversation-based tours as well, so it's not just vomiting a bunch of information at children because they will snooze in five seconds. But it's about um, creating conversations and getting them to critically think about things that are larger than them.
3: The gift to the program, it kind of stresses the importance of the program to the, muse- uh, to the museum and what it means uh, overall.
4: Um, can you ask me one more time? Oh, Sorry.
3: Th- the... <laughs> The Million Dollar Gift, the program, it's, it's a program the museum seems to take pride in and want it to be a focal point of the museum.
4: Yes, um, the Every Student Initiative is lovingly referred to as our flagship program or the most important community outreach program that we do here. Um, so the Million Dollar Gift, the largest gift, really underscores how much it means to us. Okay.
3: Uh, any future plans for ESI for expansion or just some growth
4: Um, Right now, we are not looking um, to particularly grow the quantity of the schools that we have. Like I said, 45 schools out of eight districts. Um, We have a little over 14,000 students sponsored for this school year already. Um, We're not saying no to any additional students, but we're really looking at improving the quality. Um, and ESI uh, has now started to do this annual fundraiser called Christmas in the Village. So we end our school year, well, our calendar year, really, with um, a holiday celebration where the proceeds go towards helping fund the next school year as every student initiative visits.
3: I want to talk about Polly Barton for a moment. Mm-hmm. She gave the seed money, and then the amount she's given has just grown and grown and grown each year. What does that tell you, that the amount just keeps going higher and higher?
4: Um, that she truly believes and sees the progress that this program is making. She's seen it from day one, from when it was just an idea, to now uh, her sponsoring the Peoria Public School District, K through 8th grade students, as well as St. Phil's, um, and a couple of other schools as well. So her financial contribution is really the way that she is saying thank you for caring about our kids and our community, and she's a part of that.
3: Can you talk about yourself and how you've seen this program grow over the years that you've been here?
4: Yeah, so this is my third um, school year uh, managing the Every Student Initiative. And uh, in my time here, I implemented the education guides that actually take the students through on tours. So that was a huge shift. Um, it used to be you got a free field trip and you came to the museum and just go explore. Um, But now there is someone that's going to help guide you through and make it make sense for you. It also helps take that burden off of the teachers for having to know everything that's in the galleries. Um, We've done that work for you. And we also help those teachers by giving them a little bit of um, information before they come uh, on the field trips, along with the educator membership so that they can um, continue to use the themes and content here in their classroom.
3: Overall, it's a big day for the museum.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, we're very excited and looking forward to continuing uh, year seven of ESI and many, many more years.
0: Everly Davis of the Peoria Riverfront Museum talking recently with WMBD's T.J. Carson about that big donation for the Every Student Initiative. On a follow-up to a Peoria Riverfront Museum event we told you about a month ago, an exhibit is now officially open as of this weekend. The Life and Legacy of Annie Malone opens to the public at the Riverfront Museum. Annie Malone is a name synonymous with Peoria and perhaps synonymous with St. Louis as well. Artifacts and other items from the cosmetics and hair care company founder who became a millionaire and one of the first black female millionaires in the country was donated a month ago to the museum and the life and legacy of annie malone exhibit is now officially open you can go to the peoria riverfront museum's website for more or you can see a post we made on wmbd's facebook page more week in review coming up it was a little more than a week ago now that two walls that form part of the Pekin Township building in downtown Pekin started to collapse and collapsed worse as a demolition was going on. Since then, the demolition has continued and the walls have been brought down, but the question now is, what can happen to the rest of the Pekin Township building? WMBD's TJ Carson talked about that prior to a meeting that was held on Friday with Nick McQuett, the peak and chief building inspector since
5: last Friday uh, we have walked the building with a structural engineer that was hired by the township um, individual from Farnsworth Group. Um, this week the cleanup began of the property the 418 section. Um, so where we're at right now is uh, finishing the cleanup and awaiting a report from the structural engineer. Um, We do have a meeting set for this Friday with the township and the engineer here at City Hall. Okay. Um, And then we kind of go from
3: there, figure out what the next steps are. Okay. Uh, Seeing the progress today, it looks like they were pretty much done with the cleanup and they were taking the fencing away to open the street up again. Uh, Was that... Kind of expected for a timeline on your guys's part.
5: Yeah, I mean, we we were hopeful that they'd have it done sooner, uh, you know. But once you get into these things, you never know which way it's going to go. Um, so you know, they kind of ran into things where it took a little more time than was expected. So, uh, but I mean, all in all, yeah, they're they're moving along well. Okay. So.
3: And then the township office itself. Uh, still no update on where they're exactly at.
5: Yeah. So as of right now, I don't know where they're operating out of. Um, you know best way to probably figure that out would be talking
3: to ms shannon Saul. yeah yep. um so now we're about a week out uh from it happening and things are moving along i get i guess the building it needs to be inspected what needs to be inspected in that building to make the determination of what to do
5: yeah so i mean as of right now the, the remaining section of the building is deemed dangerous uninhabitable um you know As again, I stated, you know, structural engineer walked it Friday. Um, We will conduct another inspection later today, possibly tomorrow. Um, You know, there's there's cause of concern with the building. There are some other structural cracks, um, roof concerns, issues that are still there um, as well as some other code violations we found inside. So these items will have to be addressed, plus whatever, you know, uh, repairs that the structural engineer may have for the building. What were some
3: of the other code violations you guys found?
5: You know, it's, it's an old building, so, you know, you, the typical things you find is open wiring, junction boxes, things of that nature. So, you know, it's kind of a life safety item, so those items will have to be addressed before we allow occupancy again.
3: Okay. Um, and then, as mentioned earlier, they, it looks like they were taking away the 15th of the road. Road's opening up again sometime today. A positive step forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
5: So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, GIMAC's team's done a great job keeping the site secure. Uh,
3: the cleanup process has gone well. So, yeah, it's a step in the right direction. Okay. Um, it also looks like the law office building has been opened up again. They are working inside there. Are there any concerns about that building and the apartments that were next to it? Yeah.
5: So, law office, yeah, you know, they're back in there. The
3: two tenants that were displaced from the apartments
5: are back in their units. Um There is some damage to the exterior of that building as well. Um, Nothing structural has really been found at this point in regards to that building. Um, In looking at the building, there are some issues that are going to have to be addressed with that um, that are not due to damage caused by the
3: failure of the Township building. But overall, that building is still habitable and it's good to go for the foreseeable future. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and as for the township building itself, uh, there was a roller coaster last week on whether it could be saved or anything like that. What's, what's the latest on that? What's the kind of feeling and hopes of saving that building? Yeah, I mean, the township's obviously hopeful that, you know, it can be
5: saved. Uh, you know, again, there's we're awaiting that report from structural engineer. There's items that we at the city have noticed uh, that are of great concern to us. Um, So once we have a better idea of what the report says uh, and a further inspection, then we'll have an idea of where we're going to go with it.
3: How long would it take to get that report complete? How long would this process be to make that determination? We we should have the preliminary report today.
5: Um, And then, like I said, we'll do a follow-up inspection of property now that, you know, the cleanup's basically done um, to get a better view of the property. Um, And from that point, then, if. It's determined that the building's stable and can be saved, you know, that a uh, list of repairs from a structural engineer and the city will be created.
3: Okay. Is there going to be a determination on whether or not the repairs would be too much to save the building? Kind of like when you're buying a car, it's like, okay, the repair is too much and what it's worth. It's, could it be something like that? Right. I mean, you know, that's, that's something the
5: Township Board may have to weigh. Yeah. You know, cost of repairs, depending upon what needs to be done, could heavily outweigh Um, you know, cost of demolition, you know, so it's something they're going to have to think about, for sure.
0: Nick McQuett, Pekin's chief building inspector, talking with WMBD's T.J. Carson. Also this week, T.J. traveled to Illinois Central College in East Peoria for their fifth annual Agriculture, Diesel, and Horticulture Showcase. It helped students of the campuses maybe figure out if they want a career in those industries. TJ talked about it with Colin Campbell, the Diesel Program Coordinator at Illinois Central College.
6: The idea behind the event today, we are really trying to showcase to these high school students the amazing career opportunities that we have all across central Illinois. Now that can spread from Peoria, even into the little small towns like, uh, you know, Henry and Brimfield and Roanoke and Lake and um, Washington and Morton and all these little towns. Uh, we, want, we want these high schools These high school students to understand that they have very, very good career opportunities, sometimes right in their backyard. You don't have to necessarily move away to get really good paying jobs, to find really successful careers. These are all businesses, these are all companies that are right here in small town, uh, you know, central Illinois.
3: I grew up in and so I know what's going on there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Oh, how many students do we have here today? How many different school districts do we have?
6: Um, I'm not sure on the amount of school districts, but I know it's almost 400 students have, have shown up. And so um, we're really excited about that. We've broken the group up into, into two, so two sets of 200. And um, so in, in this part, they get to basically go around to the individual companies that are here that are offering the jobs um, and saying, you know, hey, go to ICC, get the training, then we can offer you a career. Um, and then the other part of the show, we're actually offering like some uh, kind of like training sessions where they yeah. teach you how to do something And so that's a that's a whole nother part of the event as well.
3: What do they get trained in over at the uh, horticulture area?
6: Yeah, so they uh, they uh, do all kinds of things. They they're bricklaying for the for the hort side. Um, they're doing uh, they'll actually do like arrangements with like uh, flowers and things like that. Um, they operate different machines. They're going to be flying a drone over there and figuring out how to like spread like uh, um, some chemicals, whether that's like a pesticide or insecticide, over some of our fields uh, that the college has over there. So there's just a wide variety variety. (laughs) variety of things that they're doing over there. And it's really good. It's hands-on that they get broken up into smaller groups, and then they get to actually do those things.
3: And then you mentioned all the small towns that you can work in yeah. here today, but what are some of the jobs, where are some of the industries that are represented here today? Yeah, so
6: I'm with the diesel program, and so uh, there is equipment dealerships all over central Illinois, and so within those dealerships, you have salesmen, you have parts professionals, you have service technicians, um, you have managers, you have um, all the technology support. In the horticulture area, they, they, that industry is really booming right now, and basically they need uh, people to, to run those machines, to be the physical labor, to set up all the Uh, all the 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 plants and to make sure that they're laid out exactly the way they want to do the brick laying to do all the landscape design Um, and so that's kind of that industry that's going really hot as well they also need mechanics on that side Um, and then the agriculture industry is just absolutely flourishing right now so um, we have a lot of custom application businesses here a lot of seed dealers so those are great opportunities for these guys to be part of Um, a a lot of sales type positions a lot of research um, and then of course the technology field we need the kids right now Extreme demand for kids that understand the computer software side of things, so they can set up these different, uh, you know, these different software programs that really farms that the farms run on.
3: You talk about the extreme demand. What how? big is that demand right now for uh getting people into these industries of agriculture and diesel
6: it's absolutely huge um absolutely huge i have no problem getting all of our students jobs once they graduate um and you know if i had more i could i could find jobs for them as well so it is a very very high demand
3: is it a problem where there's not enough people to fill these jobs or what
6: what's the big concern right now with that uh, yeah, yeah, we do, we do run into some of that, but I think a lot of that has to do with. Um the students themselves are sometimes unaware that all of these jobs exist in their backyard, you know? And so that's kind of what we're trying to highlight with this event is is so that these students know that like, Hey, you don't have to, you don't have to leave central Illinois. There's plenty of jobs right here. And so that's what we're, we're trying to kind of correct that by saying, you know, everybody welcome, come, come learn about all of these different companies and, and these different opportunities that you have. And so we're kind of trying to, to approach that problem from like a logical standpoint. Let's use the kids the resources that we have right here. And everyone
3: can use a good, high-paying job nowadays.
6: Oh, my gosh, yeah. And that's, a, you know, a lot of people don't understand just the quality um, of the careers that we have. You can come to ICC, get a two-year degree, and you can easily go out and get a career where you're making $50,000, 60000 $80,000 a year. I have several students making north of $80,000 a year, and that's right once they graduate. They, you know, you know We're not talking five, ten years down the road. They, they literally can graduate and be making that kind of money. And so um, it, it's for us, it's really important that they understand you don't have to go to a university and and be 30 40 fifty thousand dollars in debt you can come to ICC um, you can spend ten twenty thousand dollars and then when you graduate you can roll right into that job where you're making 50 60 seventy thousand
3: and then I guess another aspect people may not talk about so much is you're keeping people in central Illinois an area that's seen some population growth Decline.
6: absolutely absolutely and so for us it's really important because uh, a we can kind of support our, our, our own need and then b what we've noticed a lot is is these kids really do want to stay home they want to they want to raise their families where they were raised and so this kind of attacks that problem from both ends and so everybody wins right and so um, again that's kind of why we're here why we're highlighting this is for for these kids to be able to have that opportunity and how many years is this event going on for i believe this is our fifth year yeah how have you have you
3: seen... Uh growth from that first year to now and not only just the event but with jobs and industry in the area related yeah. to what's here yeah
6: so they've they've ab it's absolutely exploded on both ends the attendance and both in, both in the availability of the jobs as well so when we first started out we were at like 100 students somewhere in that neighborhood um now uh we're we're close to 400 um and then the jobs once that kind of that COVID 2020 year hit um boy the the workforce really took a hit off of that and that's when we saw demand just shoot through the roof and since that point uh, we we can't keep uh, the companies that work with us through our internship locations we can't keep them supplied with enough employees they just they need more and more and more and so we're doing the best we can to kind of approach that problem yeah anything else any other thoughts um, guys, if if you're listening to this, if you're if you're in a high school that's in Central Illinois and you want to be part of this event, please uh, please reach out. Next year, we're going to do this event again for the sixth year. Um, if you want to uh, basically learn about you know all these different career paths and and how they basically might kind of match with what your wants and needs are uh, please please look us up um, and uh, we'd be more than happy to have you come to the event it's a pretty fun time and uh, thank you so much for coming out and, and listening
0: illinois central college diesel program coordinator colin campbell with wmbd's tj carson more week in review coming up on thursday prior to united auto workers union members going on strike at three plants as they continue to fight for what they say are fairer wages and benefits in the wake of corporate executives getting more and more of that money, Congressman Eric Sorensen, in a 60-second House speech, which is where House members can speak on any topic for one minute, used his to talk about the UAW strike and how it may end up impacting
3: Illinois long term. I rise today in solidarity with the more than 10,000 United Auto Workers in my district as they negotiate a fair contract with the nation's auto industry employers. Let's remember, it was workers who built this country and their high quality union jobs gave working people a pathway to the middle class, not just in Illinois, but across this great nation. The current negotiations have implications not just for workers, but for the future of the auto industry and our economic competitiveness. While companies record record profits and the CEOs take home tens of millions of dollars in compensation, the salary of the average auto worker has declined by 40% over the past 20 years. Our UAW neighbors are simply asking for their fair share. To the UAW workers in Central and Northwestern Illinois and across the country, I've got your back. Congressman
0: Eric Sorensen again in a 60-second speech on the U.S. House floor. Meantime, there was a presentation held Friday in Pekin involving Ameren and the American Red Cross where they talked with senior citizens about how to best prepare for the worst, natural disasters or severe weather and other things. Adam Crank with Ameren's Community Relations Unit was a part of the discussion, and he talked with WMBD's T.J.
3: Carson. Disaster preparedness for senior citizens, it's an aspect that is not thought about too much.
7: Yeah, and we're hoping to raise awareness about that. Safety is a big um, focus for Ameren internally, and we want to expand that focus to the wider community. Uh, Senior citizens tend to be a more vulnerable group, and so uh, any way we can to get information on disaster preparedness to them, um, is something we think is a good thing.
3: What makes that group more vulnerable in a uh, natural disaster or an emergency situation? I think there's mobility issues.
7: Um, obviously, you know, perhaps an older generation isn't as uh, tech literate. Um, so we're trying to give them ways that they can um, tune in and, and keep track of updates. Um, so today, actually, as an incentive, we are handing out um, Ameren branded uh,
3: weather radios. Okay. Uh, what are some of the big tips that you're giving out today that they can do themselves to keep themselves safe. Yeah, definitely have a plan. Um,
7: You know, it's much easier to prepare beforehand than a day before or after the uh, incident hits. Um, And we want people to think about um, even things like pets, uh, grandchildren, um, having that water there, having emergency food supplies, having a way to stay connected, um, and and more than anything, just thinking ahead um, before the disaster hits.
3: And it could be a disaster from like a winter storm that you can kind of see coming or Maybe even a tornado that is coming like that.
7: Definitely, yeah, there are those seasonal um, sort of disasters or semi-disasters that we see, or it could just be that you're snowed in, Um, but yeah, definitely there are those instances where uh, we have unexpected and and wide-reaching disasters such as a tornado.
3: Now, not everyone can do everything. what can other people do to kind of help out senior citizens in like in a natural disaster or a situation like this? What can they keep an eye on? What can they do? Check up on uh, the seniors in your neighborhood. Check up on your grandparents.
7: Check up on your parents. Um, keep them in mind when you're trying to keep everything together and you're trying to develop a plan. Definitely include them in your plan. Uh, have a way to contact them. And even if it means just driving to their house um, before or during a disaster or after <coughs> to see how they're doing, um, we would encourage that.
3: What's some of the feedback that you're getting today here at the session? What are they telling you? What some of the questions being asked? I think it's definitely an
7: appreciated um, event. We're getting a lot of good feedback so far, um, and people like to learn. They like to come to these events. Um, they like to feel prepared, and I think that gives them some semblance of control for when um, the inevitable does happen.
3: Okay. What's the most common things you're hearing from them? Anything, uh, comments or questions? Any- I
7: think you know when you talk to a group like this, they've they've already seen a lot, and so they've lived through those disasters, those tornadoes, those snowstorms, um, and they understand the importance of it. And there's a lot of um, experience in the room, and we're seeing that um, people know already the importance of being prepared.
3: But it's just getting some of those other things, like you mentioned technology earlier, what are some of the things that might be catching them off guard that you're hearing in the sessions? I think connectivity uh, is an issue, uh, a lot of people still rely on maybe television. Um, or more
7: traditional forms of media, um, and giving them that ability to tune in to a weather radio station with the handheld radio um, is something that I think will help to prepare them. And
3: it's minimizing injury or, in worst-case scenario, death.
7: Yeah, you know, having that alert beforehand, I think it's critical. Um, Those few minutes before tornado hits or those few days before a winter storm, um, that weather radio can provide uh, vital
3: information. How many are here today? How many turned up? We have about 60 um,
7: individuals, Um, we had about 50 sign up, but we've had a few extra, Um, so I think word of mouth got around and um, we had an increased turnout from what we had expected.
3: Okay, so more than expected showed up today? Yes. Okay, how important is it for not just senior citizens, but for everybody to know this kind of info to kind of help keep everybody safe and especially the senior citizens?
7: Yeah, we talk about vulnerable populations like senior citizens or the disabled, but um, really we are all vulnerable to these events. Um, And just as we would recommend um, that seniors or the disabled um, prepare for a disaster, we would recommend that everyone um, prepares for those disasters. And a lot of the things that we would teach uh, the seniors today would be applicable to you or I. Um, have that preparedness plan, have those emergency supplies, have a way to communicate, and have a network that you can fall back on.
3: But in a way, it's also taking extra care because seniors and disabled people are more vulnerable.
7: That's right. That's right. Yep, we are all vulnerable to to nature and um, to these events that are happening, um, but we do want to pay special attention to our seniors. Adam
0: Crank of Ameren, Illinois, talking with T.J. Carson. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and at WMBDRadio.com. You can also find the Week in Review podcast at WMBDRadio.com or or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.